This is WGRE 91.5 FM, Greencastle, Indiana. Good evening and welcome to Music for Life, music from DePaul. In this episode, Hannah chats with 21CM intern Elika Okerstrom about what to expect from this week's visit from Artist-in-Residence Fifth House Ensemble. Matt Skiba comes in to tell us about his winter term internship in New York City. And looking forward to our large ensemble's performances this semester, our orchestra, choirs, and percussion ensemble directors come in to talk about what their groups are planning in the coming season, culminating in an exciting concert you will not want to miss, the monumental Ninth Symphony of Beethoven. There are lots of exciting things going on in the DePaul School of Music, and we're glad you could join us for Music for Life. Student producer Matt Skiba joins me in the studio to chat about his winter term. Welcome. Hi there. So winter term at DePaul is a great opportunity to go anywhere you really want to go. You can stay here in Greencastle, do stuff here, take lots of courses. You can travel the world. You can go to New York. You can go to L.A. Where were you? I was actually in New York City. I was working with an off-Broadway theater called The York. Primarily, I was working under the artistic director, so I did a lot of archive work. They had just taken down a big display Uh, So I was doing a lot of scanning and a lot of research kind of on the side because they had all this information up and I was trying to take in as much of it as I could while I did it. Great. How long were you in New York? I was there for about two and a half weeks. Wow. Um, I was supposed to actually be there for three, but once the reports of the blizzard started coming in, (laughs) I got the quickest plane ticket home I could. (laughs) Yeah, that would have been a mess. You could have been there quite a while. Yeah. Turned out it was a little bit of a hyperbole on what was actually coming, but it was still a pretty significant storm there. Yeah. Yeah. It still was enough to cancel the flights. And so musical theater is one of your interests, even though you're a trombone player here. Yep. I'm a music education major, but theater's always been something that's just always been around. So did you get to see some shows while you were there? I actually got to see about 10. Wow, fantastic. Um, Every day once work was over, I would run, well not, I I would walk, but I would get over to Times Square, which was about 10 blocks away, and would find which theater had a rush ticket still left. (laughs) Um, So I was getting the cheapest tickets I could, and sometimes the seats weren't the best. When I saw Phantom of the Opera, I was actually literally the farthest person from the stage, (laughs) which made distinguishing some of the characters a little hard at times. (laughs) But you got a good shot of the chandelier falling onto the stage. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, there were other shows. Like when I saw Matilda, I was actually in the fourth row, almost center stage, paying for the same price as the Phantom ticket all the way in the back. Wow. How about that? Yeah. Student Rush. I wish those were still available to the rest of us. I (laughs) I remember those Student Rush days well. So on a day-to-day basis, you were working a regular eight-hour shift? You worked a couple hours a day? How did that work? Originally, they had me signed up for a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 11 to 6 Mm -hmm. schedule. And I woke up on my first Tuesday, and I looked around, and I was like, you know, I've been to New York once. I've seen the Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island. I was like, I don't really have much else to do. So I emailed my boss, and I was like, hey, is it okay if I just sleep in a little bit on Tuesday and Thursday and come in at like noon or 1 instead? (laughs) So I ended up working every day. Ah. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would usually get there a little early uh, because the subway I took was very inconsistent. Um, <laughs> so I allotted to be late every day and then ended up being early almost every day. Oh, good. So I was there Monday, Wednesday, Friday for about seven to eight hours at a time. And then Tuesday and Thursday between four and six. So what was the salient thing you learned in this process? I think the big thing was just to be prepared for anything. Mm-hmm. While I was doing all this work with the artistic director, I was also the only intern there. Mm-hmm. So while I was the artistic director's intern, I was also the marketing intern and the executive intern right. because I was the only intern for a while. After my first week, another two showed up, so we kind of divided the responsibilities a little better. 
But there were times where like I had to be completely on my toes, ready to run across the street to FedEx, the post office. Handle whatever's coming your way on that day. Exactly. And we were actually, unfortunately, I was, I was planned to stay there to see the first preview of the show we were getting ready to do, but the blizzard made me come home early. Right. That was another thing was I was actually able to sit in on one or two of the rehearsals and kind of see how that side of things worked. And it was really interesting watching the musical director and the director work with the actors. Yeah, what a great experience to yeah. be able to see behind the curtain a bit. Oh yeah, it was absolutely incredible. I'm very, very pleased with how it went. Well, thanks for coming in to chat about it. Absolutely, thanks for having me. From the String and Mixed Chamber Ensemble's recital of December 10th, 2014, violinist Valentina Guillen Meneseo cellist Catherine Anderson Quinones and pianist Shiyu Su performed the first movement, Allegro con Brio, from the Piano Trio in C minor, Opus 1, Number 3, by Ludwig van Beethoven. Thank you. 
This is student producer Hannah Gothier, and joining me in the studio today is our 21CM graduate intern, Elika Okerstrom. Thanks for coming in, Elika. Thank you, Hannah. So the Fifth House Ensemble is coming back next week, and we were hoping you could give us a little preview of what they are bringing to us. Absolutely. So we have Melissa Snoza coming Thursday, February 12th. She is the executive director as well as the flautist for Fifth House Ensemble. We've got a great day planned for everyone. We are having student consultations. Melissa is just going to be in the Great Hall for any students that want to run some project ideas by her. She's a great lady to just chat with. Mm -hmm. She has so many awesome ideas and is so willing to help out. We're working on a session about Music Can Tell a Story to do at the Greencastle Middle School. We've got one of our student trios, Dan Hickey, Jenny Miller, and Rachel Robin, are going to be performing at the Greencastle Middle School when Fifth House is back in March. And then Aubrey Alt, who's a first-year saxophonist, is going to help coordinate that visit as well. Our big workshop that we plan on doing is going to be an artist management workshop. So that's going to be at 5.30 next Thursday. There is pizza, so everyone (laughs) can come and get their dinner. And this is going to be all about those big questions like, how do I negotiate a contract? How do I find an agent? How do I get booked for gigs? Things like that. So a lot of questions that people are not only going to be asking themselves post-graduation, but things that people are going to want to start thinking about even as they're in their undergrad. That's great. That sounds like it's going to be a good week. Fifth House had the big Harvest concert last year. Are they doing anything fancy like that this year? Yeah, actually, they're going to be joining Balladina, which is a Mediterranean folk group for our final Green Guest concert. And that's in conjunction with their final visit. So that's going to be April 23rd through April 25th. They actually were in Berlin, I think at the beginning of January, Fifth House was working with Balladino. And they're creating this amazing concert where they're combining both of their groups, combining both of their musical styles. And it's really going to be this fabulous collaborative event of world music, of music we understand and know, but everybody's going to learn something new. That sounds like it's going to be a really cool concert. I'm sure we'll hear more about that when time gets closer. Elika, thank you so much for coming in to talk to me. And I'm looking forward to all these Fifth House events. All right. Thank you, Hannah. Here's the Meneseo Quinones Sioux Trio once again with the second movement, Andante Cantabile con Variazioni, from Beethoven's Opus 1, No. 3 Piano Trio.
Orchestra is hard at it as always, and here to chat with me about it is their conductor, Orstina Smith. Welcome. Thank you very much. The second semester has begun. We've finished up the opera, and the Music of the 21st Century concert is next on Well, Friday. actually, you even got, you came right out of the frying pan. Of the, you've already forgotten. You right. played in Vienna. <laughs> came out of Vienna, into the opera, out of the opera, and now into. Uh, Roberto Sierra's music, fascinating. Lots of smaller events that the students will learn to communicate between themselves. That's fascinating. We're doing a piece called Carnival and has strange movement titles like gargoyles and unicorns and the phoenix <laughs> and dragons. So that it's really wonderful music, very colorful, very film score-like. Yeah, he writes great music. After that, uh, we have the Concerto Winners concert and the Concerto competition comes up at the end of this month. So that's always fascinating to see. Because um, you don't get to pick the program. Right. And so, but I have to make the program work. And, right. Uh, I have to choose the personnel. But yes, programming is a big deal if in charge of any arts organization. And so when the music is chosen for me, there are certain challenges, but you have to make the flow work and you have to make everybody feel comfortable with the music. And we rotate the personnel. So some less experienced players get more experience playing principal positions. So it's a unique opportunity. Mm -hmm. The pieces are all generally shorter. And so one can pedagogically approach it from that standpoint. We also have uh, second semester conducting students who actually conduct movements of Beethoven symphonies um, at this time in, in March leading up to that Concerto Winners concert. And then the final event's a big one. It is a big Beethoven symphony. Yes, Beethoven symphony number nine. And we're so excited to be able to do it with our choruses and our faculty members uh, singing the solo parts. So the orchestra in the fall is kind of the traditional university orchestra in that it does concerts and it prepares and the programs are chosen and it works in that way. But in the spring, actually starting in the winter, off you go on your tour every other year. So we've just finished Europe and come back and then into the opera pit, right out of that into the pit. And now you've just completed that. And then a really unusual opportunity to work with a living composer with Roberto Sierra coming in. Now, you do get to pick the music there, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Of course, the the music has to be chosen from the music that of the Sierra. Of right. Sierra. So right. one has to look at, uh, is, it, is this music designed for a professional orchestra? Uh, what level is this level of difficulty? How many rehearsals do we have to accomplish mm -hmm. it? How much time can we then do? And the good news is that uh, I had chosen to do three movements of the Carnival, but when the orchestra first rehearsed the music, we did sectionals with strings and then we did the winds brass percussion, I saw that the orchestra had the capability to go ahead and push into the other two movements. Uh -huh. So I've been very encouraged by their development, certainly through the first semester, their diligence, uh, the chamber orchestra evolution, uh, that really refines the, some of the core aspects of how the orchestra performs. So we're good to go on five movements of Roberto Sierra's so Carnival. We, so we do Sierra when he comes from Music of the 21st Century, which is the entire music school coming together to do it. And the orchestra plays a role, as do all the other large ensembles and everybody else, chamber music and solo work. It's a, a big celebration of a living composer. And then in the concerto competition, people bring their work and are chosen by judges and then it's your job to take whoever the winners are and whatever it was they put together and make that into a program. Right. And that often is a big challenge because we don't tell any student that the work or their accompaniment, uh, the orchestral accompaniment or anything is too difficult for us. Right. So that is a special challenge uh, sometimes. But we push through because this student deserves to perform with orchestra and we need to provide proper service 
to that at the same time kind of looking at the different musical values that come from doing pieces of music that are often very disparate. So we might start with something um, very new and we might start with something from Paris Conservatory competition or have a Mozart mm -hmm. aria. And so the confluence of all these things is very challenging for the orchestra because they have to shift gears right. every three or four minutes. They have to be in a different style. And it's the bread and butter of what orchestras today do because right. they have who's coming in this week and who are we accompanying at this point. So and then we finally come back to a regular orchestra concert, except we bring in the full chorus. And so it's a massive massed work. And this time the greatest of all, Beethoven 9. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, also each one of these um, experiences for the orchestra defines a, a different manner of playing. Mm -hmm. When you play with chorus, you discover that the chorus sings slightly behind the beat because they need to get their consonants out of the way to get their vowel sounds on the beat because that's where the pitch is defined. And so you can't just play your notes and leave the chorus behind. It's the right. same thing as working in the opera pit. Um, the, the orchestra, since we double cast the opera as well, the orchestra has to pay attention with their note, watching the conductor, but listening to the singers. Mm -hmm. So there are tremendous experiences that come from all these different responsibilities that we have. And it's an incredibly wide array of music and styles and expectations, and it continually changes practically from one week to the next. It sounds like you've got a busy semester ahead, so I'll let you out of the studio so you can get back to those scores. Yes, sir. i got to go study right now. <laughs> all right. Thanks for coming to the chat. Thank you. I'm Kevin Days, and you're listening to Music for Life. From the String and Mixed Chamber Ensemble's recital of December 10th, 2014, clarinetist Daniel Hickey, violinist Jenny Miller, and pianist Rachel Robin perform the first movement, Dances, of Peter Shickley's Serenade for Three. Thank you. 
Frequent listeners to Music for Life know that we record a few days prior to our air date. And on our recording date, it turned out it was Dr. Berger's birthday. Happy birthday, <laughs> Dr. Berger. Thank you, Mark. We're here with Christina Berger, who is our choral director this year and has been doing wonderful work with us. And she's given up some time on her birthday to come in and kind of preview what's coming up in the choral world this year. Mm -hmm. You guys had an incredibly busy last semester. Maybe we should start with that. Okay. Can I still remember it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) After the recovery period. Well, um, it was a wonderful challenge for me and for the students. We covered an extremely wide range of music. Performed all over the place. All over the place. I think we learned... We, that's the royal we. I already knew this, but I hope my students <laughs> learned that um, there's no such thing as a simple piece of ensemble music, or an right. easy piece of ensemble music. It can be simple in materials and still demand everything that you can give it. Right. So we sang some simple, compelling things, and we sang some complex, compelling things as well. Yeah, you did some great concerts on campus, but then you were called upon to be everywhere for everything. Some of your singers got to sing with the string quartet Ethel that when they were here with Robert Mirabal, which was unbelievable. And they got to sing at the White House, and they got to sing for the Indy Prize, Mm -hmm. and they got to sing for the campaign kickoff. They were just everywhere last semester. I hope this semester is a little more breathable, or is it not? It does seem a little more breathable, yes. I'm, I'm looking forward to that, a different set of experiences <laughs> for us. You know, all of it's good. Uh, but we're starting with some steep challenges, Right, actually. right off the bat. Mm-hmm. We have coming up our um, concert on February 27th, the music of uh, Roberto Sierra, who's our 21st century composer for the whole School of Music. He writes great stuff. We are having, I mean, if you walk into rehearsal at Chamber Singers, it sounds like you're, you know, in the rainforest uh, in Puerto Rico. We're working on some music where the mouths, the voices are used to simulate two different sounds dear to the ears of any Puerto Rican. Number one, the sounds of Afro-Latin percussion Mm -hmm. ensemble. Mm -hmm. So that's all happening in uh, mouth sounds like, you know, and we're having to feel rhythm and meter in a way that many of the students are not accustomed to. And they're enjoying it. And, and right on the heels of the Trio Globo thing with Loire, this is kind of interesting because she was doing all that vocal rhythm percussion stuff. Right? That's absolutely right, right, from Indian traditions. Right, yeah. right. And then the other thing that the voices are heard to do is to simulate the sounds of tree frogs and, and tropical birds. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I'm only guessing at the kinds of animals that might have inspired some of these sounds. But, mm-hmm. And then in between there, we've got some melody and some chords. <laughs> right. Yeah. And with University Chorus, we're working on a piece called Guaquiababa that takes words from the language of the Taino people who were the indigenous inhabitants of the island. Mm -hmm. And those words, which are sort of a version of the Lord's Prayer in a sense, Mm -hmm. asking, you know, the the great God for blessings upon nature and people. And these texts are given musical materials that are clearly influenced by the rhythms that were brought to the island during the slave trade. You can hear the clear sound of Mm. of black musical invention Mm. in rhythm. So we have Sierra's interest in combining Taino materials with African-Caribbean materials. Very cool. Yeah, it's good. And so after Sierra, then you get your own concert, right? I mean, so it's interesting because all of our ensembles, in addition to their regularly busy schedules for music of the 21st century, when we bring a living composer to campus, we spend a week with them, and everyone's performing as part of a kind of a a mixed concert where everyone gets a few tunes to perform uh, during uh, during the residency. So what's up then immediately after music of the 21st century? So the obvious choice then is not to start again from scratch in the end of February building a full concert program. (laughs) So um, I've chosen for the March 15th program a group of music from all the Americas. Ah. And music both vernacular in 
undisrupted origin or vernacular in inspiration, but concertized or purely concert music. And I'm, oh. I'm calling it American folk. Oh, very cool. <laughs> Little pun there. Yeah, got it. But we're going to hear some shape note. We're going to oh. hear some folk music from a wonderful composer in Uruguay, but arranged by a wonderful composer in Venezuela. Mm. We're going to hear art music from a composer in Venezuela. You would never identify it as Venezuelan. So we're, we're going to hold up these two examples when a composer chooses to write in a way that locates that person in mm-hmm. the soil where that person mm-hmm. was born and when a composer can also choose to adopt the European concert style that we've right. formerly known as classical music. Those mm. definitions are expanding. But and you did a little of this kind of expansion last semester, too. They really took to the shape note. Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I had to, by popular demand, offer it to the one <laughs> choir that didn't get to sing it last time. I see. You know, I, they basically put me against the walls. I'd wait yeah. so, They were really into that. And it went, it went so yeah, well. Yeah. Oh, it takes your voice directly out of you. It just spins it out so directly, and it feels really good. Head to Maybe toe we should explain quickly. to our audience. Oh, sure. What shape note is Sure. Uh, this is one of the few forms of harmony singing that's absolutely indigenous to the United States in style. Uh, this is hymnody for use in the early Protestant churches on the eastern seaboard. Uh, it started growing up, you know, in the colonies, spread its way south a little bit, and uh, it consists of um, usually four parts, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, and the melody is usually in the tenor part, which is unusual. Mm-hmm. And um, at the same time, the tunesmiths who were creating these hymns for worship in the colonies noticed that the colonists really didn't sing very well, and they didn't (laughs) read their music very well. And they devised a system of different shapes for the note heads Mm -hmm. that would give the singers clues about Mm -hmm. how actually to find the pitches. So Mm -hmm. there are notes that are circles or diamond heads or triangles or rectangles, and it's a system of reading, which we're actually not using that to decode our pitches because we already are fluent in the the other way. But the sound is really compelling. Harmonically, there are lots of open octaves with Mm -hmm. fifths and fourths when you might expect to hear triads. But then in the middle of the phrase, there are lots of clashes of seconds and sevenths. And traditionally, the way to sing this music is um, everybody would get together inside their very reverberant wooden church (laughs) and they would sit in a square, one voice part on either side of the square, uh, turn to the number in the hymnal, take a breath, and, and sing, sing as loud other. as continuously <laughs> at each other as possible. That's exactly. right. No phrasing, no rubato, no retardando. Just take a breath and sing. Right. And there are a number of choices a concert group can make in doing shape note nowadays. You know, you can try to uh, get to as uncultivated a sound as mm-hmm. possible. Which is probably what it sounded like at that time. Exactly. You can choose to see what the music sounds like in a more bel canto style. Mm-hmm. Some, some mm-hmm. pieces beautifully adapt that way. Mm-hmm. You can pick something in between. I like to go with something in between, but the direction I give to the singers pretty much is just get immediately to the vowel mm-hmm. and simplify your sound as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But the starkness of the harmonies really brings that from them, a very direct sound. And shape note's very fascinating because it's interesting to look at because yeah. it doesn't look like typical notation. Right. And it's interesting to hear, you know, we as an audience member might not know that this is shape note, but then you hear it and you go, well, there's something up there. Whereas just the minute you pick it up and you look at it, you think, well, it looks different, but you don't realize, and it also sounds different. Yeah. And just to watch the students light up to do it, it's so different. It's so nice on a program. Yeah, oh, I'm glad you've enjoyed it. Yeah, good. And so now we've got off of that. We got off onto a sidetrack there that I really enjoyed. But let's come back. And what's after that? Then you've got a concert in March, and then you've got 
a big... We got a thing in April, and don't forget April and then oh, May. Yeah, but yes, that's right. You have yet another concert. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, in... so March, we've been discussing the music of the Americas. We'll mm-hmm. have, you know, Canadian music and Caribbean ocean shanty and whatever. And then in April, well, it happens that after we wrap the March concert, we've got exactly four weeks before the next concert, one of which is a week of spring vacation. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, thank Three you. Three weeks. Okay, <laughs> that's six rehearsals, whatever. Right, you whatever. Know, what's a few rehearsals between friends? Yeah, well, there's a very beautiful way of stretching time on a choral concert when necessary. Intermission? That... <laughs> no. <laughs> you got it. Um, that also... Uh, Oh, is, is a wonderful vehicle for stretching a particular singer who's ready for the challenge. It's a work that is so beloved of choral musicians, and it's Ray Fun Williams' Five Mystical Songs. Ah. If you have a baritone in your school whose voice and musicianship are ready mm-hmm. uh, to sing this piece, it's a perfect choice. It's five movements on the poetry of George Herbert, mystical poetry. So gorgeous. And at the beginning of the thing and at the end and in a couple pretty places in between, the choir comes in with just <laughs> stunning material. But right. it's the baritone who's going to be working a very long time to prepare it and the right. and the pianist who will be accompanying. Right. Um, but the choir, you can get that into shape pretty quickly. So that's going to be one big chunk of that evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with the theme of mysticism at the heart because of the mystical poetry featured in that work. I'm taking music settings of other mystical poets. Well, we're going to do a whole round of uh, antiphons by Hildegard von Bingen, actually. Yes, we are. The first musical mystic in our tradition. Excellent training. There's nothing like ancient plain chant to train singers. I love it when we do Hildegard, because everyone always thinks of men when they think of composers, and yet Hildegard stands above them all oh yeah i mean nobody male female or otherwise caught up to her for a long time after quite some time yes (laughs) Yes. right and then i think uh i'm I'm looking at a setting of rumi texts that uh, eric whitaker has composed called this marriage it's another thing that learns quickly but is poetically and musically and vocally very beautiful yeah and rumi you can't do better than Rumi. you can't beat rumi and then i know another setting of rumi by j david moore that Mm. i think will also go nicely in the program and i think we can throw that together in the three weeks that we will have that's my plan but uh and then as if you haven't had enough it's right out of the frying pan into the fire because then (laughs) the big dog comes right behind that the big dog are you going to say what it is beethoven's nine yeah beethoven nine yeah beethoven nine is well everyone knows beethoven nine but you know, what a glorious way to end the year. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to it. I have actually not ever experienced it at close range. Mm. So this will be my first time really wow. getting my hands dirty. I uh, got through my whole resident life in New York City as a paid singer without getting hired to do a gig like that because I mostly sang in mm-hmm. small Sm- groups. Right. So yeah, this will be my first time looking at it from the inside out. Yeah, you know, I always hear that like it's the first time. You know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. That's a work right. that never grows old. No, absolutely not. I mean, he is in the panoply of the great masters whose works reward you your entire mm, life. That's true. Yeah. Well, we've got a whole season full of music like that. And thanks for coming in to chat about it. And yeah. happy birthday. Thank you very much. For a gift, I'm not going to sing to you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's the Hickey-Miller-Robin trio once again with the second movement, Songs, of Peter Shickley's Serenade for Three.
Joe Flummerfeld, and you're listening to Music for Life. While we're previewing the upcoming season here in the music school, I'm thrilled to welcome Bonnie Whiting in to come chat with us about what the percussionists have up their sleeve. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So you guys always do such cool stuff. I never know what to expect. You know, there's so many places where I feel like, okay, I've got the rhythm of this, but you guys never cease to amaze me. So what's up your sleeve this time? Well, the first thing we have coming up pretty soon is actually a very special guest artist in residence, which is DePaw's own Amy Lynn Barber, who is coming back Mm -hmm. to help the percussion ensemble in a concert of music that celebrates her time at DePauw. She was a dean at DePauw, she was the percussion teacher at DePauw, and we're really excited to have her. And so the students are actually going to be collaborating with Dr. Barber and with me, and with some pretty fabulous guests from her Percussion Plus project. So we have a really exciting lineup that includes two pieces commissioned for the Percussion Plus project. One which is by former DePauw composition faculty, Carlos Carrillo. Mm. And we have some improvisation that we're going to do with alumni, performers, current students, and guest artists. Mm. Amy will play some solo projects and do a great week of mentoring with the students that we're really looking forward to. Yeah, that's going to be really exciting. I mean, you and I both in our positions are kind of standing on Amy's shoulders because she had both of our positions before us and brought Percussion Plus here, started Music of the 21st Century, and uh, is just a phenomenal percussionist in her own right. So it's going to be like a great reunion. Absolutely. Yeah, good. The next thing we're looking forward to is actually having another guest artist, and that is composer Mark Applebaum. And he is known throughout the music world as kind of like the mad scientist of music. (laughs) And I highly suggest checking out. He has a fabulous TED Talk titled Just That. And he's someone who is just consistently reimagining what it means to be a musician, to be an inventor. Mm -hmm. He creates incredibly engaging, compelling pieces that are experimental in nature, but oftentimes really interdisciplinary. So you'll be drawing a picture and the sounds that you hear from the amplified marker make these crazy otherworldly beautiful sounds. And <laughs> right. then you suddenly realize that it's a really groovy rhythm that you could actually tap your yeah, foot and to. And you wonder, how did he think that up? I don't yeah. know, but <laughs> but he's fabulously creative and we're so excited to to have him here. Without giving too much away, there will be some conducting without sound. There will be visual art that turns into music. And as percussionists, of course, a whole lot of bells and whistles in the kitchen sink. Lots of toys to play with. Yes, right. Yeah, everything that we can drag in there. (laughs) We're also really looking forward to, actually, this year we've expanded the percussion at Peeler program. So we had a lovely time uh, playing in the gallery this fall. And we're returning in the spring to engage with the exhibit called Food Plus Water Plus Life by the husband and wife artist team of Lucy and Jorge Orta. Mm. And we are partnering in that with the sustainability Mm -hmm. office Mm -hmm. and with the students who are the environmental fellows to sort of help us as we have discussions about what is sustainability in music? What could that be? So we'll be using a lot of found object instruments. Um, we're going to be partnering a little bit with Dr. Scott Perkins's class on some, some new pieces and playing some old favorites and some samba and some fun things to go along with that. You know, I love the concerts at Peeler. So Peeler's our art gallery here on campus and the percussion ensemble goes in and literally sets up in the middle. I mean, right among the art, the arts, right. You're right in the middle of it. And then invites the audience to sit in the middle of that. (laughs) 
in the last concert, I actually walked around a bit because the experience you get is radically different depending on where you stand. I mean, the art around you is influencing what you're hearing, but also the acoustics in the space change from place to place. And we don't have very many opportunities to be that up close to an instrument and watch it be executed in that way. It's really fascinating. Yeah. And then other than that, you know, we just plan on a little bit of travel. We're going to perform at the Indiana Day of Percussion, Ah. where some other universities will have their percussion ensembles there. We'll have a chance to interact with guest artists and clinicians from all over the state and even Mm -hmm. beyond. And it's a really good chance for us to network and show off what we're working on. And Good. Other than that, you know, the, the large ensembles will, in fact, keep us pretty darn busy yeah, with right. Roberto Sierra's residency and Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, which yeah. is maybe the hardest timpani part in the entire repertoire. So, you know, we, we got our hands <laughs> full, but we're really looking forward to a great yeah, semester. And, you know, it is true. We, we sometimes overlook the fact that just manning the ensembles, but my gosh, you know, there's so many instrumental parts that are needed to be covered and these poor percussionists are everywhere all the time covering every instrument imaginable and how you keep it all together is beyond me but you've got an incredibly exciting season ahead i'm looking forward to it very much especially that timpani part in beta right. one of my favorites <laughs> and uh thanks for coming in to chat about thanks it thanks for having me and here's the hickey miller robin trio with the final movement variations of peter shickley's serenade for three enjoyed this week's episode of Music for Life. We love hearing from listeners. You can contact us by emailing musicforlife at depaw.edu. We're also on Facebook at DePaw Music for Life, and you can subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching there for DePaw Music for Life. Our student producers are Anna Gadula, Matt Skiva, Burke Stanton, Rachel Amalfitano, Hannah Gavier, and Caleb Denning. Our 21CM graduate intern is Elika Okerstrom. Veronica Pedrel is our online editor, and our show is produced by Matthew Champagne in the Judson and Joyce Green Center for the Performing Arts at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. I'm Mark McCoy, Dean of the School of Music. Thank you for listening to our show. Keep music in your life, and have a great week.
It's music for life.